All right, guys, so we just finished up with Thanksgiving. Um, I know the, our Thanksgiving as a family was really, uh, it, was, it really just felt relaxing this year. Um, and from the folks that I've talked to, that seems to be kind of a theme for, for some of you. But, you know, we, we went from one family to the next, um, you know, as we usually do. But it was just a, a really sweet time of being together as a family. Um, you know, we got a chance to do a, a Thanksgiving meal with the youth group the weekend previous, the Sunday previous. And it was just a really sweet thing where we lined all the chairs up around a, a big, long rectangle table, you know, and I don't know, we had 25 kids there or something, and we had a turkey, we had ham, we had mashed potatoes and great, we had the full setup, it was just really fun and amazing, and uh, um, got a chance to uh, just be together as a, as a family of youth, um, which was really just kind of a, a fun, unique experience, and then afterwards, we did the, the thing where we sit around in a circle and tell stories about what we're thankful for, right, um, and it was funny because I was, you know, praying through, okay, what, how, what story am I going to tell you guys? And the story that I told the youth is the same one that kept popping up in my head. And I was like, oh, God, please don't make me tell this story in front of the church. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a transparent story, a revealing story. Um, and you'll find out why here in a second. But um, anyway, so the, the story of thanks that I want to tell you guys is that uh, when I was a, a younger person, um, so I, I was married previously before I, I married Nadia and got divorced there. And um, so in, in that time in between when I got divorced and when I met Nadia, um, I, had to, I sold a lot of my stuff. I had to pay off a bunch of, of debt from that. Um, so I, I got rid of my apartment. Um, I got rid of my Toyota Tacoma truck that I loved. And um, so, so I, I bought an old um, dumpy motorcycle and fixed it up to ride that. The insurance was cheaper. The gas was much cheaper. And I rode that for a long time, like, I don't know, two years or something like that. Rain, shine, in the snow, uh, which I don't recommend doing. But, uh, you know, in the long run, almost all of my worldly possessions, I could fit in my two saddlebags on my motorcycle. Um, and so I, I worked 40, sometimes 60 hours a week, um, and I rode a motorcycle back and forth. I, sometimes I slept on people's couches, um, you know, and, and so, you know, it was a very difficult life. It was a season of life that um, I don't recommend for anybody um, as a choice, for sure. But um, anyway, so as part of that, so I worked in a place where uh, we welded a lot, um, we did a lot of machining, so I was working with steel and, and hot metal. And uh, even in the winter, that shop would just get really, really hot. If any of you guys have ever worked in that atmosphere where you're welding and doing machining and stuff, you will know that your footwear um, <laughs> it suffers after a while. And at that point in my life, I probably had four pairs of socks to my name. Okay? And uh, so after a long work week, um, you can imagine what those socks might have looked like. And so um, when, when I met Nadia, my wife, now, um, she, she was so sweet. She said, hey, you know, um, let me do some laundry for you. And that, that's not something that, you know, people who just start dating usually offer to do or, or even accept that offer to do. But I was at a point in my life where, yeah, I could really use that. And so, you know, I gave her my laundry, and she, when she brought it back, um, there was a Kirkland brand bag of, giant bag of socks. And she said, Josh, uh, I tried washing your socks three different times, and, and they, they would not, it wasn't that they weren't clean, it's that they would not get clean. They had a will of their own at that point. Um, she said, she jokes, and I, I don't think it's fully a joke, but it's funny. She said you could, um, it was almost like they were, you put them in the freezer wet and they were frozen, they kind of were stiff, 
and it can stand on, I know, I know. Like I said, it's a revealing story. But um, so all that to say, like I was super grateful for that package of Kirkland Costco socks that she bought me. And my brother-in-law and I have a joke where um, we said, hey, if you ever win the lottery, what's the one like super frivolous, ridiculous thing that you, you're going to do with that money? And my joke was always that I'm going to buy a new pair of socks, so 365 pairs of socks, one for every day of the year, so I, can, I never have to re-wear a pair of socks, ever, right? It's super frivolous and ridiculous, and, you know, yeah, I could donate the socks to the mission or whatever, but, you know, that, that's my frivolous thing, right? And it's about socks. And so, you know what he buys me every year on my birthday? He buys me a new pair of socks. He does, and it's, it's great. And anyway, so I, am, I have a thankfulness for socks, and I told that story to the youth, and they all kind of laughed. And but it, it's not something that I make up. I genuinely am grateful for that, because I I lived without for a while. I understood what that was like. I'm also grateful for having a house. Um, you know, I'm grateful for the season of life that I'm in now. You know, I get a a chance. I'm going back to college, or I, I've been going back to college for a while. I'm in the master's program now for psychology and to become a therapist and. Um, so I'm really grateful for the season of life I'm in now. It's challenging. You know, I, I do hundreds and hundreds of pages of reading a week, and my eyes hurt constantly, <laughs> you know, so it's challenging. Um, it, it puts a strain on my family and my ministry and everything else, but I'm really grateful for that opportunity, right? So, so that's my story. I, I want us to start in Luke chapter 17. So if you guys want to turn there real quick, Luke chapter 17. Um, and we're going to be in verse 11. So as you guys are doing that, you know, we look through the Bible, and I was looking through the Bible, you know, it's, it's the weekend after Thanksgiving. So I'm like, ah, you know, let's do, let's do a thematic sermon, right? So I'm looking through the Bible for examples of thankfulness. And you got, you got Daniel, right? The lion's den Daniel. And uh, he got in trouble for being thankful three times a day. He says that he came before the Lord three times a day and thanks. And that's why he got in trouble, right? Because he was doing that instead of worshiping the king. Um, so he, he gave thanks despite the risk. He knew that that was risky. You got Jonah. This one blows me away. He gave thanks inside the belly of the whale. Right? <laughs> I, I can't even, I, I can't fathom that, right? It says that he repented and he gave thanks inside the belly of the whale. So he gave thanks despite his circumstance, his current circumstance. You got Paul in the, the book of Acts, chapter 27, and he, he and his crew were in a storm. And I, I've read this story a bunch, and it didn't really jump out to me until now, which is bizarre, but um, it says that they were in a storm for 14 days. Okay, I was recently on a fishing trip out um, in the ocean, uh, and it was pretty stormy, and we were out there for a grand total of 25 minutes before we turned around and headed back in. Okay, and that was... That was pretty terrifying. I mean, we were in like 12-foot swells. It was pretty good-sized seas. 14 days. It said it was so bad that they tried putting ropes around the boat to hold it together because it was coming apart. In my head, I keep thinking like putting rubber bands around a Lego boat to try and hold it together, but that's because I'm a youth pastor. So, um, you know, Paul, it says that he gave thanks on the 14th day. He broke bread and gave thanks on the 14th day. So he gave thanks in the midst of the storm and, and what was going on in his life. You got David, right? He gave thanks to God in the middle of being hunted for eight years, right? Going from cave to cave. You know, God had promised him this kingship, and the guy who currently had the throne was hunting him for eight years. And yet you have psalm after psalm of giving thanks, 
Right? In Psalm 69, verse 30, it says, I will praise him with song and exalt him with thanksgiving. And then you got Jesus. You know, he's constantly giving thanks. Right? You know, um, with, he gave thanks for the, the, the loaves and the fishes before God even multiplied them. So he gave thanks before provision, not just after it. Right? So we have all these different examples. And then Luke chapter 17 really jumped out at me. And I was like, yeah, this is the one. This is the one I want to talk about. Right? So this is the story of the ten lepers. And I'm going to read it to you guys if you want to follow along. And then we'll, we'll pull it apart here. In verse 11 it says, As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Right? So we have the story of ten men who are lepers. And the the first thing it really points out is where Jesus was going. He was going between Galilee and Samaria. What was Galilee? Galilee was Jesus' boyhood stomping grounds. Okay? This is where he hung out. This is where his friends were. In fact, 25 of the 33 miracles that are recorded happened in Galilee. 19 of the 32 parables that are recorded happened in and around Galilee. So this was like kind of a hub of Jesus' travels. And then you have Samaria, right? Jews avoided Samaria like the plague, okay? Um, You know, but Jesus didn't. He went through it. So the road that Jesus was on probably didn't contain a whole lot of Jewish people. Most of the people that were traveling along that road were probably not Jews, it was dangerous. Uh, these were people that they considered unclean, that they were subhuman in most respects. And it got me thinking, who are the, the Samaritans? Who are the people from Samaria in our own lives? You know, who are the people we avoid like the plague? What are the areas that we avoid like the plague? You know, what, what hits me sometimes is the unhoused population in downtown Eugene. Yeah. You know, I'm guilty of that. There are places in Eugene that I won't take my son. Absolutely. I don't think it's safe. I don't think it's clean. Uh, you know, business owners are leaving there because things keep getting broken into. And yet Jesus made a beeline for these places. I think it tells us something about the type of person Jesus was and the type of people Jesus wants us to become. Right? And then you have the ten lepers, as we, we read on there. It says that they stood at a distance. Now, it's a group of ten guys. You know, and it struck me that oftentimes in our own uh, struggles, right, um, we tend to gravitate toward people that have similar struggles. And then it caused me to chuckle. It's like if you find yourself constantly surrounded by crazy people, what should that tell you about yourself? I, I, I laughed in my office out loud because sometimes I feel that way. But you, you oftentimes surround yourself with people with similar struggles, and that's what these guys did. Now, leprosy, back then, right, and fortunately through the miracles of medicine and science, leprosy has all but been wiped out. There's a few places in earth 
that are, it's still a struggle but for the most part. However, back then, leprosy was a, kind of an umbrella term. This, this term covered the actual diseases of leprosy, but it also cover, covered other skin conditions that didn't just go away. And when you had leprosy, it was often assumed that either you sinned or your parents sinned or somebody in your family sinned. And so God was punishing you. This was a consequence for either you or somebody in your family having done something wrong. And so you were an outcast. It wasn't just because other people thought they might catch leprosy from you. It was because you had done something or somebody in your family had done something to deserve this punishment. So you were socially outcast. You could no longer hang around your family. You could no longer go to the feasts that were held. You could no longer observe um, different traditions as far as going to the temple and things like that. You were a social outcast. You had to rely on what little money your family might be able to send you from time to time. And so these people banded together to try and support each other. They had leper colonies. But these, this particular group of guys were traveling on the same road. They were going from one place to another. And they saw Jesus at a distance. What does it say? They cried out. There have been a handful of times in my life where things have been so bad that I cried out. I mean, I can, I can probably count them on one hand. And what this shows us, I think, is that the situation these guys found themselves in was so bad that they cried out. And here's the amazing part. These guys were smart enough to know who they were talking to. Because what does it say? They called him master. They recognized who Jesus was right off the bat. And they called him master. That term master should really jump out at you. It, should, it shows a prioritization. It shows a positional function of that term. That term master, somebody in authority over. How many of us have had intersections with God, meeting with God, and we forgot who he actually was? You know, modern Christianity, rightfully so, paints Jesus out to be in a very approachable savior. And I'm glad it does. But we oftentimes forget his position as master and Lord. And these guys, they didn't. They recognized that. So let's keep going on here. And they, they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And then he looked at them and said, let's pause here, Jesus looked at them. Most lepers and most people that were not of Jewish descent, if you were a religious leader, you wouldn't even look at them. You would just keep on walking for a lot of reasons. What this shows us is that Jesus he sees us. We, we all have this basic human need to be seen and known and understood. And Jesus in that moment saw them. He looked at them. Jesus sees you in your pain. He sees you in your fear. He sees you in your anxiety. He sees you when you're not being forgiving. He sees you in your pride and in your anger. And he sees us in our hurry and our hustle and bustle. But what triggers that? When we cry out. It doesn't say that Jesus came along the lepers and he saw them and then they cried out. They cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And then he saw them. So Jesus sees us. And it said that he looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And they went and they were cleansed of their leprosy. 
So Jesus, as, as rebellious as Jesus was to the Jewish culture, he also realized the culture in which he was in. When a person who had leprosy was healed, and it didn't happen often, but it did happen from time to time back then, there was an order of operations. You needed, when you were healed, you went and you saw a priest. And they were the ones that validified that miracle. They said, yep, this is an actual miracle. You are now cleansed. You're not, it's not just that your skin cleared up. You are cleansed of whatever it was that you did that caused you to become sick with this disease. Um, Your family is forgiven. You are forgiven for whatever you did. And so now you are able to rejoin your family. You're able to rejoin Jewish society. You're able to now participate in the cultural rituals and the feasts and the temple. And you're able to come and worship again. And it wasn't until the priest saw you and validified that, that that actually happened. And here's the mind-blowing part. It doesn't say that Jesus healed them and then said, go and see the priest. He said, go and see the priest. And as they were on their way, they were healed. They took a step of faith. Where else do we see this? We see this in the crossing of the Jordan River with the Israelites, right? They have the Ark of the Covenant and the rivers running and they're like, how are we going to get across? And it wasn't until they stepped into the water that the waters part. They didn't have a Moses moment. Where the Red Sea parted and everybody was like, hey, look, dry ground. All right, let's go. Nope, they had to step their foot. They took a step of faith and that's when the waters parted. These guys, these 10 guys, um, they were like, they could have stood there and said, well, um, according to tradition, um, you're supposed to heal us first and then we go see the priests so that they can verify this miracle. Nope, Jesus said, go and see the priests," and they said, okay. So they went and on their way, they were healed. So it shows a huge step of faith. We'll continue on. And it says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. So one of them, when he saw what, what happened, he came back. He recognized what happened and he came back. And what does it say? He fell at Jesus' feet. There was a recognition that happened there. Now, it says that Jesus was on the road, right? That he was going um, through Galilee and Samaria. Um, you know, he had just gone through a village. And probably, if you're on a road, there are other travels along, travelers along there. Because it's around Samaria, we can assume that most of these people were probably not Jewish. So there were all kinds of other people around when this guy hit his knees and cried out in a loud voice and thanked Jesus. This was not an intimate encounter between the man that was healed and Jesus. This was not a whisper as he comes by and says, hey, thank you for what you did. This was a loud moment. This was an out loud moment of thanks. Now, what, why is this important? And I think this is important because in James chapter 3, it tells us that our tongue is like the rudder of a ship. What we say that, you know, something so small can change the entire trajectory of a big ship. Our tongue is the same way, right? Um, speaking something can change our attitude, can change the way we live, it can change the way we feel, right? It, it isn't necessarily that we change the way we feel and our speech changes. We change how we speak And it starts to change how we feel. So if you find yourself wondering, how do I live a life of gratitude? The answer is right here. You start speaking 
gratitude. You start recognizing Jesus for who he is and what he has done. And that will change your attitude. That will change your trajectory. What else does it tell us? This idea that 10 people were cleansed, but only one came back. You know, well, let's take a look and see what Jesus says about it. It says, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one else returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus saw 10 men in their desperation. Jesus recognized 10 men when they cried out. He also recognized the 10 men afterwards. He saw the nine that didn't come back. And I think that is indicative of his master position. Jesus does see us in our absolute misery when we're crying out to him. He also notices when we don't say thank you. When we don't act out thank you. When we don't come back. It's really easy for me to raise my hand in a Bible study group or a youth group and say, you know what, hey, I had a really hard week I need prayer. You know, somebody did something really hurtful to me this week. I need prayer. Uh, you know, man, finances are really tight. You know, my marriage is hurting. Whatever it is that is causing me some level of discomfort and desperation, man, I need prayer. You know, it's really hard to come back the next week and say, hey, you know what? God answered that prayer. So some reason it's really hard to say thank you. And yet, here's why it's important. I took a look at the original Greek. You know, Luke was written in Greek. Um, when it talks about the different types of healing here. Okay? In verse 17, when Jesus said, Didn't I heal ten men? That is the word, katharzo. Uh, okay? It means to make clean. We just went through a whole lot of katharzo with the pandemic, right? We were cleaning things constantly. We had tons of hand sanitizer constantly. And I think that's a really good illustration of what that Greek word means. When Jesus said, I cleansed ten people, didn't I? I washed them, I got them clean, I got rid of their dirtiness, didn't I? However, in that next part, when it says stand up, your faith has healed you, in some versions it says your faith has made you whole. And that's a different word. That word is sozo. That means to rescue, to make safe, and to save. That first encounter with Jesus that those ten men had on the road, it cleaned them. Jesus cleaned them. That second encounter that that one man had made him whole. It made him safe. It rescued him. It saved him. And I think that illustrates really well the importance of living a life of gratitude the first encounter you have with Jesus, it cleans you up. The second encounter you have through an act of gratitude is what makes you whole. And Jesus sees it. You know, I, I know that it's hard to say thank you. You know, um, one of the things that we do well in our family of three is we tell a lot of stories we talk about our day almost like in story form. 
You know, Caleb loves to hear stories. And I'm really appreciative, appreciative of Caleb and, and my wife, Nadia, because they put up with a lot of stories that they've heard several times from me. That's one of the indicators of getting old, to be an old guy, is you tell the same story over and over again, right? Not that any of you guys experienced that. But Caleb loves to hear stories. And I think it does two things. One, it changes the way that I think. It changes the trajectory of my ship when I tell a story of gratitude about what God has done for us to my son or my wife. And the other thing it does that I'm really hoping for is that when God does something for my son, it becomes an example of habit to him. That saying thank you isn't so difficult. That it becomes the second nature as crying out for help. And what we see here with these ten guys is that it wasn't second nature. In fact, the Samaritan, he wasn't even a Jew. You know, in the Jewish Bible, it commands to say thank you 58 different times. The, the morning prayer for a Jewish person is a prayer of thanks. And yet the Samaritan was the one that came back and said thank you. And that was what made him whole. So we, we just had Thanksgiving, this opportunity to give thanks. And it caused me to pause and to ask myself, am I living a life as if I've been saved from hell? Because if that were true, man, I would be giving thanks every single second of every single day. What if that were true? You know, one of the things that we learn in the, the master's program with psychology is to ask people, what if that were true? If somebody comes to you and say, well, man, I must just be, I must be really dumb because somebody treats me like this. And I ask them, well, what would it mean if you actually were dumb? And you turn it back around. Well, it would mean that I, you know, don't function well at my job. How do you function? Well, I do pretty good at my job. So what does that mean? Well, I must not actually be that dumb. So... What if you were saved from hell? What would that cause you to do? I think it challenges us to do a couple of things. It causes us to stop and examine our priorities. In the trajectory of our lives, in the pattern of our lives, this Samaritan, he was headed to see the priest. He was going a direction. In a sense, he was busy. He was following an order, absolutely, but he was busy. And yet, because he realized what happened, he stopped in his busyness, turned around, and came back to cry out in thanks. It caused him to reprioritize his direction. And I think a lot of us need to take advice from that moment. Man, the busyness of, of our lives today the instant communication that happens through technology, the expectation from work, the busyness of family, all these things cause, has caused us to, has caused me often to misprioritize my master. And one of the things I can pull from this one Samaritan that came back is that I need to pause and recognize what God has done in me. And because our tongue is like the ship, or like the rudder of a ship, we got to say it. It's one thing that, that maybe right before bed as I'm sleepy and my head's hit the pillow, 
Uh, thank you, God, for providing. And then I start snoring. It's a whole other thing to tell your story. And I think that's where the making whole piece really hits hard, when you start telling your story of things. So that's my challenge to you guys this week. Figure out what it is that you need to turn around, go back to God and say thankful for it, and then tell somebody about it. And this is hard. This could be a major challenge because it's a vulnerability piece. What is your dirty sock moment in your life that you need to tell people about? Because it's going to change the way you think. It's going to change your attitude. You could be in the midst of a really hard week after a really nasty conversation with somebody at work, after a fight with your wife, after arguing with your kids for the 10th time about whatever it was that they're not doing right. And yet if you pause and turn around and go and say thanks, that is what changes you to the core, what changes the direction of your week, of your ship. So that is my challenge to you this week. Find that moment. Be the Samaritan. Don't be the other nine that keeps on going down life, down the direction that you're headed. And probably they were thankful. They may have even told the priest and be like, hey, this, we met this guy, he did this thing, it was really cool, I'm so thankful I get to go back to my family. But what is it that you need to go back to your master and say thank you for? Right? So as we, I invite the, the worship team back up, we will we'll pray together about that. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the situations that we find ourselves in, like Jonah giving thanks in the belly of a whale. We thank you for the hard times like Daniel giving thanks in, in the midst of danger and choosing his thankfulness over his situation. Lord, I pray that you give us the bravery to go back, to stop our trajectory, to stop our direction, and to pause to give thanks. We pray that you give us the bravery to do that out loud to cry out in thanks, regardless of who might hear. We pray that that action would change our lives, would make us whole. We thank you for the, the first interaction we had with you, and we pray that we would have the bravery to continue to come back to have that life-changing moment of thanks. We pray these things in your name. Amen.